scripture this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. First, let's pray. Holy God, open our ears and hearts so that in truth we would find the firm foundation you have given to all people. Remind us of your mercy and remove all that would prevent us from fully honoring and serving you. Amen. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This honor, then, is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the very head corner. And a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So why Presbyterian? I get that question a lot, especially once people hear that I grew up Catholic, that my whole family is Catholic, that I come from a long line of Irish Catholic Midwesterners. So given all of that, they say, why are you Presbyterian? How are you Presbyterian? My answer is almost always the same. Some of you have heard it before. I sift through all of the theology and polity and church history and formulate the most honest, reasonably concise response I can. I am Presbyterian because in college, I fell madly and deeply in love with a Presbyterian boy. <laughs> now, I'm quite certain I couldn't have told you a single thing about the Presbyterian church. I'm pretty sure I didn't even bother to Google it. I just knew somehow that I really needed to be there every Sunday morning. And since I didn't have my own car, I was going to need a ride and, well, you know how that goes. <laughs> Thanks be to God, the good people of First Presbyterian Church in Mount Vernon, Ohio, never once asked me why I was there. They just said they were glad that I was. And they asked if I liked milk in my coffee. That is my impressively nuanced, very theological reason for why I am a Presbyterian. Or at least why I first became a Presbyterian. Why I've stayed Presbyterian is another story. 
Now, if you were with us last week, you may remember that I attempted to answer the question, why Christian? The truth is, there's always a variety of different responses I could offer there, but they all come back to this central idea. The story of Christianity, the story of God's love for this world throughout human history is the story that makes sense of my life and it brings meaning to my life. It is the story that in so many ways does in fact save my life. And it is the story that binds me to something bigger than myself because you cannot be Christian alone. You see, if the central instruction of the Christian faith is to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, if we accept that to be true, well, you can't be Christian alone then. It literally doesn't work. To be Christian is to be connected to others. So that is part of my why Christian. I asked you how you might answer. I hope you will continue to give it some thought. This week, though, I've narrowed the question down a bit further. Why Presbyterian? And next week, it'll go a bit narrower still. Why Shandon? This series of questions, it's not actually rhetorical, and it's not coincidental that we are considering them during this brief stewardship season. Stewardship is a lifelong endeavor, but we do spend a few weeks each fall placing particular emphasis upon it. And we do talk about money because the way we think about money reflects the way we think about faith, whether or not we like what it has to say. I have found over the years, though, that the best way to use the time I have during these weeks is to invite us all to reflect upon why we give. We give to the things that matter most to us, so why does being a Christian matter to you? Why does being Presbyterian matter to you? Why does being a member of Shandon Presbyterian matter to you? How does any of this make a difference in your life? I became Presbyterian because I fell madly in love with a Presbyterian boy. I stayed Presbyterian because I fell head over heels for a denomination that insisted that everyone has an equal part to play because everyone has equal access to and connection with God. Chase read to us just a few moments ago from 1 Peter. Did you catch this part of it? He said, let yourself be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And then just a few verses later, in case that wasn't strong enough for you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Chase and First Peter are not talking just about me, even though I am the only one in the room with this sort of collar around my neck today. Because fun fact, 
Friends, according to our Presbyterian theology, you are just as much a priest as I am. You can tell your parents, they'll be proud. (laughs) And this is true now. It's not a promise of something we obtain in some distant future, nor is it something that's faded away since ancient days. You are a royal priesthood, even as we speak. Now, for some of this to make sense, any sense, really, to our ears in 2022, it may be helpful to remember what a priest signified in the days of the Reformation and what a priest still signifies to some other Christian traditions. In the days of the medieval church, a priest was someone who acted as a mediator for the presence of God. A priest was someone who stood between God and the regular Christians, offering intercession to God on the people's behalf, hearing confession, bestowing forgiveness, and delivering the word of God. A priest could be considered a connector or a bridge builder. And because of the significance of this role, the medieval church said that it could only be filled by those who were somehow spiritually superior to the average old Christian in the pews. Some of that belief continues today in other traditions. And some of that carryover was what for a time had me absolutely convinced I could never be a pastor because I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was spiritually superior to absolutely no one. And then Martin Luther had the nerve to agree with me. Not just about me, of course, but about everyone. One of the things that Luther rebelled against in what became the Reformation was this sense that some people had better, more direct connection to God than others. In a paper published in 1520 called Address to the Christian Nobility of the German Nation, Luther declared that his ongoing careful study of scripture, including 1 Peter, led him to believe that absolutely everyone stands equally before God. Everyone has equal access to God, equal connection to God. All people are called and invited into direct relationship with God, no mediator needed, because Jesus Christ filled that role once and forever. All Christians are priests, Luther wrote, And all priests are Christians. Worthy of anathema is any assertion that a priest is anything other than every Christian. Now, for what it's worth, Luther wasn't trying to lower the role of pastor. He was trying to elevate the role and responsibility of everyone bold enough to call themselves Christian. John Calvin would go on to clarify even more that the role of a pastor is still necessary, not because they have any different spiritual makeup, but because they are called to a particular kind of work, a certain set of tasks. I may be a pastor, but all of you, all of us together, are priests. I may be called to preach, But all of us, together, 
are called to ministry. In the Presbyterian Church, this theological term for this is the priesthood of all believers. We are all called to be living, breathing reminders of God's presence to one another. We are all charged to bear witness to God's redeeming, reconciling activity in the world. We are all asked to serve as connectors between God and each other to show one another signs of God's fingerprints all over our lives. We are all responsible for being bridge builders between the secular and the holy, and we may do these things in different ways, but we are all called to the task. My friend Shannon, who's a pastor in Chicago, she puts it this way. She says, for Luther and Calvin, the great drama is not that spectators come to watch the priest and ponder the mystery of what the priest is doing. The great drama is that we are all priests doing the work of God in the world in whatever form our callings have taken. And this is vitally important, she says. Your truest calling is to connect your own faith with your participation in the world, whatever that may be, as a parent or a physician, as a janitor or a baker, as a student or a teacher, a mechanic or an attorney. There is to be no divorce between the sanctuary and the shop. No difference between worship and the workplace. There are not two classes of Christian citizens, the ordained and the everyone else. No one is holier or more spiritually superior than anyone else. The other day, one of our weekday school teachers, she saw me wearing this collar around my neck. She asked if I was required to wear it on certain days. I told her I'm never required to wear it, but I do choose to wear it sometimes. Her question made me remember that when I lived in New York, I was actually the first woman to be called as a senior pastor of any Presbyterian church in the Presbytery of New York City in 2018. That's another story for another day. But that meant that I was the first woman to live in the apartment designated for the senior pastor of that congregation. And on my first Sunday, when I returned home from worship, one of the doormen saw me wearing my collar and did a complete double take. What am I supposed to call you? He said, Father? He said, No, I can't call you Father. That would be weird. And then he said, Mother. No, I can't do that either. Brother, the poor man was utterly flummoxed and it just got worse. Sister, I should call you sister, right? No, I can't call you sister because you're wearing pants. And at this point, I couldn't help myself. I said, from what I understand, sir, going out in public without pants on is frowned upon. (laughs) It's a funny anecdote. And my life is full of those along with a few that are less funny. Wearing a collar has that effect. But sometimes wearing it can have a different sort of effect too. 
This was several years ago back in Kansas. I was standing in line at the grocery store on Easter Sunday. Now, in my defense, it's important here. In my defense, we had just proclaimed the good news of the resurrection four times before lunch. And I was tired, and the line was long, and I was already late for wherever I was going, and I had already managed to forget what exactly I was wearing. So when I got up to almost next in line, the person ahead of me, well, somehow they had managed to grab all manner of fruits and vegetables without the little stickers that tells the cashier how to ring them up. And I confess to you that in that moment, my thoughts were not of the resurrection. (laughs) My thoughts were not holy. My thoughts had questionable vocabulary, and I closed my eyes and I sighed loudly, loudly enough that the cashier turned and smiled at me and said, I'll be right with you, Reverend, (laughs) because I still had this around my neck. And I was tempted to say, you know, I'm so sorry. We had a very long morning of services over at the Methodist Church today. It was tempting, but I didn't. But I did realize I was not representing my faith tradition or my God particularly well. And ever since then, I have been mindful of how I am acting and what I am representing when I am dressed this way. But it has also made me mindful of how I am acting and what I am representing even when I'm not. Even when I am technically as anonymous as the day is long. Because that moment in the grocery store, it was an ordinary place, but even still, grace showed up. And it changed something about the way that I view my life and the impact of my actions even when I'm not aware of it. First Peter and Martin Luther and John Calvin and all of our Presbyterian ancestors, they are adamant. We are all a royal priesthood. And it is true all of the time, no matter what we're wearing or what we're doing, no matter where we are or who we're with. And I suppose... It sounds a little funny coming from me today, but I was a Presbyterian long before I was a pastor. And even though I did eventually fall out of love with a Presbyterian boy named Ben, I've never managed to fall out of love with the Presbyterian church. In part because for the first time in my life, it was the church that told me that Ministry needed me, that I was valued and needed and called to ministry just the way I was, whether I wanted to be or not. And it was the first church that told me that I had a responsibility, not just on Sunday mornings, but the rest of the week too. And it was the first church that told me that the witness of the church wouldn't be the same without me. So today, let me tell you the same thing. You are valued and needed, and you are called to ministry, whether you wear a collar around your neck or not. 
And you have a responsibility, not just on Sunday mornings, but the whole rest of the week too, to let your faith shape your words and your actions and your activities. But maybe above all of that, let me tell you what I believe with every fiber of my being, and that is that this church and this community and this world would not be the same without you and your role in this great gospel story that we are all bound up together in. We are all called to help each other see God's presence and know God's comfort and hear God's challenge. Not one of us is off the hook because it doesn't work without us all. We are together a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. In order that all of us together might proclaim the mighty acts of God who called us out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. I may be the pastor of this congregation, but all of us are the priests. And remembering that, it could change your life if you'll let it. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.